0: Can I pray for you whilst you just sort yourself that. out? Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, God, we just, we just thank you for Ben, Lord. Um, and we just thank you for the gifts you've given him. And we just pray, Lord, that um, you'll just speak through him tonight. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So um, tonight we're looking at atonement. Still no one's cheering. That's fine was just wondering though, first of all, wh- what are people's gut responses to the word atonement? How does it make you feel? Would you say it's a positive word? Is it a negative word? You've never heard the word before? Tonight's the first time. That's fine. Anybody? Great. The film's rubbish. <laughs> I thought it was Keanu Reeves. Anyway, great. So when um, atonement's an interesting word in itself. It was actually made up by William Tyndale when he was, William Tyndale, sorry, when he was translating the Bible into English. And atonement is a positive word. Before we go any further, it is a positive word. It is about reconciliation. It means being completely right, or as he put it, at one moment, between men and women to God through the death So this is what happened. Quick history of atonement. Why did Jesus have to die? That is what it's about. How did Jesus make us at one with God? In the Old Testament, we started off with animal sacrifices. There's lots of rules in Leviticus, if you fancy reading them. They are interesting. And what is really interesting is that they are quite forward-thinking and personal for its time. So if you think, when you watch like, I don't know, like crappy films where they throw in ancient religions and stuff, they'll be very generic like, oh, I'm just going to sacrifice a human so this works out hopefully, or sacrifice a bull so we'll have a good life. But actually what we find is that there are specific sacrifices for specific things. It's not just at random. There's even instructions in Leviticus on how you sacrifice certain animals for certain things that you've done wrong. So I'll take myself as an example. I've decided that I'm going to steal from my next door neighbor. I get found out gutted. One of the Ten Commandments, don't steal. We already know that because we're in a Christianized culture. Don't steal, it's naughty. So what do I do? I need to lug an animal up to the temple, and I say to the priest, I've nicked this. And he goes, right, well, that'll be a goat, please. We kill the goat, and I'm good with God. Sounds good, sounds simple enough. But the problem is made very clear in the um, prophet Hosea, Hosea, and this was read on Tuesday. It really struck me. And it said this, when Ephraim, as in the people of God, multiplied altars to get rid of sin, they became to him altars for sinning. So basically, when we find there's an easy transactional way to get rid of sin, we sin more. That maybe we should do. I heard a joke. It was uh, when I was training. At, um, it was it was taught by a Catholic uh, chaplain. My first degree, and he said that one of his biggest issues with confession uh, is that he found people found it easier to ask for forgiveness than to ask for permission. I.e., it's easier to go nick a bike and go to confession and say, "I'm really sorry, I've nicked a bike, but I've got a bike," than it is to pray for a bike to come along. So atonement is looking at what did Jesus do that eradicated this Old Testament sacrifice uh, system. Now, Jim's spoken about it before, and he should do, because it's wonderful. It's a great thing, part, uh, part of Anglicanism, I think, which is the Anglican stool, which is three legs on one stool. And the idea is if you take one leg out, the stool will fall over. And those three legs are Scripture, Tradition, and Reason. I'm a big fan of Reason, I like the other two too, obviously, otherwise it wouldn't be a stool. But scripture, we read in our Gospels that Jesus died. Cru- Jesus was crucified. It's mentioned again by St. Paul in his epistles, all 13 of them. Then there's the tradition. We've been singing about the thousand generations, singing how worthy God is. This isn't a new thing. The followers of Christ believe that Jesus died for us. And what we're going to look at is how. Some of the earliest graffiti you can find around Christianity is a mockery of Jesus. It's a cross with a donkey's head. And it says something like, this is Alexander's God. Mocking a person already. I'm sure we've never had that. And thirdly, it's reason. How do we get to this? How do we understand it? So um, I'm going to literally fly through a promise. Six atonement theories. That's right. And do you know what's even worse? I chose these six because a couple of them have been developed by the ones I'm sharing with you. And I'm going to use just an example. Hopefully you'll remember this more than anything else. Because I know I'll probably offend somebody, but, you know, I used reason. So it's fine. And scripture and tradition. Some might say I've got poor theology, but I beg to differ. So the first one is the moral influence theory. So, Jesus died on the cross, defeated death, and rose again because number one is the moral influence theory. And this simply means that Jesus' life and death, his life that we read of in the gospel, is an example to how we all should live. Does that sound good? Amen. (laughs) So, the problem with that one is this. What about the rest of it? So, this is theory number one. It looks great, but you realize that you've got a hole in the cup. It's not quite enough. So number two is called ransom theory. And the ransom theory is this idea that Jesus dying on the cross pays off the devil for what Adam and Eve did. Okay? So we're all happy with that one. You always kind of see that. Romans, uh, St. Paul says, because of Adam, it's death. That's one of them as well. Again, there's a lot of there's a lot of movement in ransom theory. This idea of paying off something that cannot be afforded, paid to the devil. So there's another one. Gonna run out of water. Didn't think this through. The third one is called Christus Victor, which is the victory of Christ. And in this theory, Jesus Christ dies in order to defeat the powers of evil, such as sin, death, and the devil in order to free mankind from their bondage. So this is related to the ransom view that I just shared before, but the difference is that there is no payment to the devil or to God. With Christus Victor, the cross did not pay off anyone, but it defeated evil, thereby setting the human race free. People like the sound of that one? It's quite nice. So I'll pop the water in there. I've got a leak, don't worry. One of the cups is fully sealed. Is it going to be the sixth one? Satisfaction theory. This is in the 12th century. Anselm of Canterbury, so he came over here, proposed a satisfaction theory for the atonement. So in this theory, Jesus Christ's death is understood as a death to satisfy the justice of God. So satisfaction here means restitution, the mending of something that is broken, and the paying back of a debt. So in this theory, Anselm emphasizes the justice of God and claims that sin is an injustice that must be balanced. So you get that, kind of like on balance scales, you've got to balance it out. So Anselm's theory says essentially that Jesus Christ died in order to pay back the injustice of human sin. And to satisfy the justice of God. So justice paying God back. Happy with that one? Yeah? Bits in there? Movement? <laughs> I love it, Chris. I think you've already noticed, if you say yes to all of them, you win. <laughs> so yeah, again, this theory was developed because it didn't want to be having God paying the devil with Christ's death. Because... What does God owe to Satan? How can it be that way around? So Anselm taught that it is humanity who owes a debt to God, not God to Satan. Our debt in this theory is that of injustice. So satisfaction then is that Jesus Christ pays back God in his death on the cross to God. So we like that one? Bit of a balance there? Unfair, make it fair. Don't go too far that way, that's unbalanced again. About here. Okay. This is one that you'll probably recognise. Penal substitutionary atonement. I thought someone'd cheer. That's fine. I really don't know my crowd. It's fine. I guess you don't have to spend any time reading this stuff. That's fine. That's what that's what we do. So penal substitutionary atonement is a development from the Reformation. So this is the Reformation, specifically Calvin and Luther, Calvinism and Lutherism. They're so humble that they named it after themselves. They didn't. That was a joke. That was a joke. It was. <laughs> Gosh, here's is warm, isn't it? <laughs> so they took Anselm's satisfaction theory and they modified it. So they say. Sorry. They added a more legal. Framework into this notion of the cross as satisfaction. So Jesus Christ dies to satisfy God's wrath against human sin. Jesus is punished, penal, in the place of sinner's substitution, penal substitution, in order to satisfy the injustice of God and the legal demand of God to punish sin. So in the light of Jesus' death, God can now forgive the sinner Because Jesus Christ has been punished in the place of the sinner. In this way, that means that God is open to have a relationship with humanity and vice versa. Okay? Oh, we like that one. (laughs) Just a little footnote. This one is very popular among the Reformed and the Evangelical. That was a footnote. The final one. I don't know why I read that bit out. Sorry. (laughs) The final one is the scapegoat theory. So scapegoat theory is a modern atonement theory. And this comes from a philosophical concept of the scapegoat. And it's called uh, Rene uh, Girard. And within this theory of atonement, Jesus Christ dies as the scapegoat of humanity. So, this theory moves away from the idea that Jesus died in order to act upon God or as a payment to the devil. Scapegoating is considered to be a form of non violent atonement, in that Jesus is not a sacrifice, but a victim. Some who hold this view will say things like Jesus didn't have to be crucified, but he was killed. He was taken by a group and he was murdered. So the idea of a scapegoat, if you don't know your Old Testament as well, it's in there, is that once a year, a village would gather around a goat on the outskirts of their town, their village, and the priest would lay their hand on the goat, and they'd put all the sins on the goat, or goat. Sorry, how would you guys say it? Goat. Goat. On the goat. (laughs) And then this flipping little goat would go merrily out into the desert and die, And um, that is the goat taking all of the guilt of the people who are there. So the idea is that Christianity is a priestly religion which understands that it is God's overcoming of our violence by substituting himself for the victim of our typical sacrifices that opens up our being able to enjoy the fullness of creation as if death were not. So I really love that last line actually the fullness of creation as if death were not. And what I found is that when you take all these theories and you stack them together, that, and they've all got holes in, by the way, Stanley loved seeing if this worked with me. That's my two-year-old, not some random person. (laughs) Is that you get a watertight argument because it isn't just about one, it's about all of them working together and using our reason. That's just dropping off the floor. And it's about our reason working together when we're looking at what Jesus did. So I deliberately wanted to do that quite dry, and I hope it landed. No one's laughing, so clearly it did. But what's interesting is that regardless of the theory, and the theories are important, is that something did happen. Jesus did die on the cross. I'm always struck when we were singing, we actually sang it tonight, oh praise the name, um, Anastasis, which means resurrection. We sing the line about the body drenched in tears as they laid him down in Joseph's tomb. We can forget the brutal humanity of the fact that Jesus was killed. Jesus did die. Jesus did have wounds in his hands, in his feet. He had blood pouring down his face. And the thing that I'm concerned about in two ways is you can either focus too much on the suffering of Jesus or you go too far the other way and you completely ignore him. When I was younger, I remember reading a book about a crucifixion. Um, I've, I've just always been that much fun, guys. I would read a book about crucifixion. And, uh, and after a while, it just got too much because my relationship with Jesus was feeling more and more real that I started to find it almost unbearable to read what would have happened to him. I'm yet to ever see a crucifix. That's where there is the body on the cross where Jesus is fully naked because that is the reality of when he was crucified. The reality is that Jesus would have been crucified just slightly higher than when you walk. So when you walk past, you would be able to look them in the eye, and he would have been naked and ashamed and embarrassed. And the fact is, all that happened for us. The fact is, and this I'm going to say the big scary word, but we'll unpack it, is that sin, regardless of which theory you look at, Sin was so bad in the world, and arguably is still terrible, but lost its sting, that Jesus did die. So you can't undo any of that. You can't rewind any of that. The sin was so bad that Jesus had to die. And with the atonement theories, I think sometimes we can forget that each one of them are written by people who love And pursue Jesus, and they want to make sense of it. But one thing that I want to just challenge you with is when we think of Jesus dying on the cross, there's a very there's a great image, and it is a good image. I'm not knocking the image, but I don't think it really works. Is that people say that this is the chasm between God and man, and what we need is a bridge. To bridge between God, over here, and man. And the bridge, if you draw it, I was going to draw it, but I thought it would be too many illustrations. And I couldn't handle the heckling. If you put a cross here, you say that's Jesus being the bridge. For me, and for these atonement theories that I find uncomfortable, is there's a separation of God the Father and God the Son. Steve Chalk famously, infamously almost, said the problem with that simple view of atonement is it's almost like cosmic child abuse. And I do not think we would be here now, 2,000 years later pretty much, worshipping and celebrating cosmic child abuse. More was going on. In the death of Jesus, there is a new creation, there is a new light. I found that there were four Bible verses that reflected with how we get an example of our lives from Jesus dying on the cross. Again, what's funny about these is it kind of links with each of the cups. So first of all, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 19 to 23, we see a non-retaliation from Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus could call down an army of angels, he says, this is in the gospel sorry but in 1 peter 2:19 he's speaking of this from first hand there's a non retaliation there's no violence from jesus our second example is jesus humility and unselfishness philippians chapter 2 verses 3 to 8 that is the famous hymn where it speaks of jesus not assuming equality with god but giving it away so he could be among us, so he could be with us. Matthew 26, verse 52 to 54, speaks of this giving up of power, handing himself over, choosing to do that. And then we've got, if someone could find this and read it out, it'd be great. This is the fourth one, from 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, verses 18 to 20, and then it's 26 to 29. So if someone gets 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 to 20, and someone else gets verses 26 to 29, and then read them out. That'd be fab. Who have we got? Are you there? this reality of entering into a relationship. When you look at it on paper, it can seem like foolishness. It can seem ridiculous. But when we do the Eucharistic prayer, I get to say, as I'm praying of the bread and the wine, to Jesus, I pray, you have set us free from sin and death. That's what our new creation is, a freedom from sin and death. I don't mean the sin you just did last week or the sin you did today. Let's be honest, we all sin. But it's the fact that we are not bound by that sin. When Jesus died, it was the start of a new creation. It used to be you are born, you live, you die. That's it. This is actually why I quite enjoy doing funerals. Not because the people are dead. I'm surrounded by crying people. But because through Jesus... We're not just born, living, and dead, but we're resurrected as well. There is a life after death. There is a fullness of life found now, this present time, where we are this very moment, not next week, right now. We're having ice cream Sundays afterwards. That's a glimpse. But also of resurrection. What I found interesting putting this together is that the black and white view of atonement is tempting it's great to be able to kind of put it down into bam 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 this is why it happened but hopefully you've seen that the cup is there made up of different theories because that is where the mysteries come in that isn't the answer but that to me is what it means about a mystery it means taking into account the reason the tradition and the scripture Black and white might be tempting. I remember was it was in the 80s, 70s, kind of turn or burn evangelism. Um, I think it was Billy Graham who asked the question if you were to die tonight, where would you go? And I think you and it was amazing. At the time, it was amazing and it worked. But the reality is, I know a lot of people who don't care, they don't care about where they go. I've played in bands where we've literally sang Hell Ain't a Bad Place to Be by ACDC. We've done, I literally played Highway to Hell last Friday. And I do it tongue in cheek. But then you realize that maybe they do too. This is where I think you can't just focus on what Jesus did on the cross, but what Jesus did and what he continues to do now, which is he gives us life to the full. That's John 10 verse 10. For you who went to Bible schools or camps or whatever, we love a memory verse. John 10.10. Jesus came so that we can have life to the full. And to me, that is more than just being black and white. Colossians 1 verses 19 to 20 says this. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, Jesus, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. Reconcile to himself all things. It doesn't just say some things. It doesn't just say the good days. It says all things. The way I imagine what Jesus did on the cross, by the way, I'm fully aware I haven't really told you the answer to atonement because I don't really know. That's the mystery bit. That was a terrible shot. If you imagine a room, and in the middle of the room there's a TV that's in black and white, and everybody who walks in sees the TV in black and white, I believe that what Jesus did on the cross is he turned it into color. So suddenly, anybody who goes in that room, no matter what you think or your background, you cannot deny that that TV is in color. And I believe our choice is do you want to watch the TV? in full colour, or do you want to ignore it and just see it as, it's, as it used to be, which is just black and white? Because you see, I think people sometimes get confused as well about Christianity, where they think all we care about is what happens when we die. But that is so far from the truth. It'd be lovely to know we all go to heaven. There's even loads of theology around what is heaven, or we'll go there now. Happy to chat over an ice cream Sunday. I'll give you one theological answer for every ice cream you buy me. Okay, I won't do that. The words for me is that Jesus came to give his life to the full. What breaks my heart is that Jesus had to die because of the sin. I don't know if any of you have heard of J. John, but I'm going to nick his illustration here. Because I just think it's wonderful. It's just like this. All of my images have been inspired by playing with a toddler today. He says that this is what we look like to start with. We're clear and there's goodness. And he talks about this being like sewage. And what you realize is you've got sewage here. And if I add a little splash of this to there, it doesn't make any difference really. It's kind of watered it down, but it's just added to the dirt. Let's call it the sin. I'm going heavy tonight. Let's call it sin. Sin is the deliberate turning away from God when God wants you. The problem is, if you do it the other way, you can't go back. If I just add a tiny drop of that to it, that wasn't a tiny one, heavy hand. Is overwhelmed with it. It can feel like you are trapped. It can feel like there is no way of getting rid of all of it. But what I do understand with the cross, with atonement, reconciliation, is that by Jesus coming, showing us how to live life to the full, sending his Holy Spirit so that he still speaks to us today, and we still see people having prayers answered, and we still get to speak to God, which is insane when you think about it properly, is that we put all of our sin away. Jesus somehow got rid of it, so we were fresh. And if anyone's ever been to an assembly, we sang, water, water of life. Another banger. Let's get it back. Can we spontaneously sing that? No. (laughs) No. Isn't it a shame? Such a beautiful image where we get the water of life. We are filled to the brim so much that we're overflowing because of the love of God shown to us in God that we water it down, pardon the pun, by singing cheesy Christian songs. But that doesn't stop it being true. That doesn't stop the fact that Jesus loves us, loves each of us, whether you know it or not. And through Jesus, we have seen God in his glory. So I was just looking at how to respond. How do you respond to this news? The first one is repentance. Another big scary word. I thought I'd just chuck them all in tonight. Just to recap, I've said atonement, sin, repentance. I think that's I'll just stick with three tonight. But repentance is that returning. It's turning back to Jesus. Now, you might think this is the turn or burn thing again. Oh, repent. Um, It kind of is in some ways. But it is so important that the prayer book I use has a repentance at the beginning of both morning and evening prayer. That's right. Even a holy vicar like me Repents twice a day, and by Jove, do I need it. It's also why we repent together. We call it confession. Other denominations call it different things. Where we come before God, and this is what I love. This is what I absolutely love. Use your imagination again. You've got a blackboard, and you literally scribble all over it, all the things you've thought, said, and done wrong, and just by bringing it to God, Not only does he wipe the slate clean because we need it to be clean, we want to be clear again, but he also brings healing through that. He also brings transformation through that. Number two is faith. Faith is responding and believing in what we have experienced. What I love, it was described by Rome Williams, the previous Archbishop of Canterbury, is that Faith is holding on to what we remember God doing and hope is looking forward to see God at work again. That's what faith is. That's why we're gathered here singing worship songs together. That's why we're here to worship but also to eat and drink together afterwards because it's about community and it's sharing our faith with one another. An image that really struck me quite a few years ago, was, um, I've mentioned this twice now, I said this morning, but um, I got to go to Nexus, which is a fantastic Christian music college. And just around Christmas time, uh, my auntie died of cancer. And um, it, it was expected, it was still horrendous, but she died of cancer. And then the day after, as I was like, right, my auntie's died, I'll be going back to York for the funeral, but I can still do the Christmas concert. There was this massive Christmas concert that they do. I got a phone call off my mum. And the salt in the wound, really, if I'm honest, is that my cousin and his wife were expecting twins through IVF. So I was sat there, saw the call, and thought, well, I know it sounds bad, and I don't really believe it, but, you know, one in, one out kind of thing. So I answered the phone. I go, hi, mum, you all right? And my mum's crying on the other end of the phone. She says, Ben, your granddad's died. And I was so close to my granddad. Um, that I just broke down into tears, couldn't handle it, stormed out of Nexus, really bad actually, stormed out of Nexus, got on a train, and just went straight back to York. And I was absolutely heartbroken. And I went on probably one of the biggest benders of my life around York, where I didn't want to go back to a Christian music college, because all the Christians will do is say, well, at least he's in a better place now. Oh, let's pray about it. Oh, isn't that sad? What I got instead were people who were so sad for me and with me that through that shared pain, there was healing. I had a conversation with one person who was talking about how he just doesn't know why these things happen. And part of me would be like, that's a rubbish answer. But then the other part of me, when you're floundering, it was like, it's great to share that. And the image I love is found in the Old Testament. Again, I do like the Old Testament. And that is where if you read about the patriarchs, the ancestors, whenever something happens, they normally dig a well or they build an Ebenezer, a place to remember where God has done something. And what I love is that each of us are walking wells where one another can draw from it. So there might be somebody here who has lost a loved one. And there's somebody who recently has lost a loved one. You can draw from their well. You can share and you can pray together about that. On a more positive note, we talked about death quite a lot tonight, it can be around having children, the joy of children. We have baby chinos here where people come together and share that. For me, that is more of what faith is and just an individual thing, but it's communal. The third one is baptism. That is where you are publicly declaring that you are a follower of Jesus. The image that I love, St. Paul speaks about being reclothed in Christ, clothed in righteousness. In the early church, you used to go in naked and be baptized. We're not bringing that back. You used to be baptized completely naked, and then you'd be clothed in white garments to show that you are baptized in Christ. If you're interested in baptism, speak to me afterwards. I only know about one person. Do you want to join them? And the fourth one is the breaking of bread. And for me, this ties into the whole community aspect with faith, but it is obeying what Jesus said and did. I know I've said this before, but I'm going to say it one more time before I wrap up. Jesus is the son of God who died for our sins. Jesus shows us the fullness of life. And I honestly believe that if he told me that you ought to eat a maggot, and drink a tablespoon of vinegar every time he got together, I'd still do it. I literally would. If Jesus says, you need to eat the heart of a bull, I'd do it. But instead, Jesus sits with his friends around the table, he gets a wonderful bottle of red out, he gets some bread out, he gets all these dips, we don't do the dips, don't worry. And he shares bread and wine. To me, that is the sign of a good party. You are the people I will invite to my house again if you bring a good bottle of red. One of the readings you get at weddings, the celebration, is from John chapter 2. It's the wedding at Cana. And Jesus turns the water into wine. Have you ever actually heard that properly? I was at a wedding yesterday and people laughed. People laugh because it is ludicrous. Jesus' first miracle in John's Gospel is this. Paraphrase it for Yorkshire. Load of people have got together, they've drank all the wine, they're hammered. The people are scared to look like the cheapskates. They've run out. Jesus turns around and says, Fill those jars up with water. I'm going to turn it into the best wine you ever tasted. They taste the wine. The person is furious because he says, why are you bringing out the good wine now when everyone is hammered? Normally you give the crap out now and they have a good time. That is Jesus' first miracle in John's gospel. That is the person I want to follow. That is the person that I want to commit my life to. Life in its fullness. Life where we break bread and drink wine together. A person who not only died for me, But also showed me that there is a newness of life. There is a fullness of life where I am not restrained by the things of this world. Sin and death have been defeated. We may die. We still die now. But that is not the end. And Jesus shows that there's resurrection. There is new life. A new creation. So I want to invite you to stand. I'll invite the band to come up. It's just an opportunity for us to respond together.